Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. What makes you feel safe? I know there are some of you here who grew up without very much money. Or your parents had financial struggles, and they were, they were obvious to you as a child. And you now are committed never to going back to that place. So your savings account right now makes you feel safe. For others, you felt alone and wandering in the world, and then you developed a relationship. It could be boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, other sort of friend, any kind of relationship, but that person is a sort of stability in your instability. And when you're with that person, you feel safe. If you're introverted, you feel safe at home. If you're extroverted, you feel safe not at home. What is it that makes you feel safe? The promise of Christianity and of Christ coming into the world is that you can have a sense of safety no matter where you are, no matter what your circumstance is, no matter who you are with, who you are not with, no matter what, you can know that you are safe. Christ, this morning, is not holding out to you money as a lifeline. He does give us money as we need it. Praise Him for that. But He does not hold that out and say, trust this. This will make you safe. He wouldn't do that. He doesn't hold out even another good relationship and say, this will make you safe. But He is holding out His hand and in His hand to you for your present and everlasting safety is this. Promises. Promises. Rock solid, unbreakable promises. More certain and more secure than any of the ephemeral things in your life. More than relationships, more than savings accounts, more than the hopes and aspirations you have for the future in this life, more than your career, more than your family, more than anything, promises that cannot be broken, that will not be shattered, not one jot, not one tittle of them shall ever be altered. That is what Christ holds out to you. And if you feel in your life a great uncertainty and a great lack of safety in your own soul, probably you're holding on to other things. But today, as always, Christ extends His hand filled with promises and says, hold on to these instead. Promises are the safety net of the Christian life. The railing, the harness, the shelter, the armor, the pillow, pick your picture, Without the promises of Christ, or without a clear sight of them, we are like the smaller breeds of dogs that are constantly shaking in the face of everything. But when you take hold of the promises of Christ, you can become brave like the martyr we heard of this morning, or like the ancient martyrs in the Colosseum. That is the effect that the promises of Christ have on those who really believe them. The strength of these promises, the reason that they are unbreakable is because God Himself backs all of them up. 
A promise is just a declaration. It's a spoken statement. You say you will do something. You commit yourself to it. God's promises are God the Almighty committing Himself forever to certain future actions on your behalf. And if God speaks these promises, then no one in the universe is as strong as God, and God Himself and His being is unchangeable. He is completely faithful, therefore He will keep all of the promises that He's made. Titus 1-2 speaks of, quote, the hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Literally there, God who never lies is the unlying God, a God who is not able to lie. He cannot deny Himself. It is impossible. Until God is ungodded, the promises of God will remain steadfast, and you can trust them. You might think this is very abstract. What even are the promises of God? That's what we're considering today. But let me give you one of them. Psalm 118, which is quoted in the book of Hebrews and which I prayed about earlier, says this, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. Do you believe that the Lord is on your side, Christian, this morning? When you look at the trials in your life, Satan comes along and says, If the Lord was on your side... It wouldn't look like this. But Satan's words are a puff of air. And God's promise in Psalm 118 is absolutely certain forever. The Lord is on your side. Well, why does it look like the wind of circumstance is pressing against my boat? I can't move forward. I don't know. You don't know. Doesn't matter. The Lord is on your side. That word cannot be broken. He is your helper. Hebrews says if you're worried about money and you want to idolize money as your safety, it says, no, 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 be content with what you have for, quote, the Lord is my helper. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He has promised it. Here's another promise, just to whet your appetite for what we're talking about. Quote, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a promise conditioned on believing. Just like we read in Acts, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Not destined for wrath, saved from the wrath of God to come, saved unto paradise forever. But that is a promise. If you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, not with an immense, strong, mighty faith, a weak, puny little faith in a strong Christ, if you've done that, you are not destined for wrath say, oh, but you don't know how sinful I am. God knows, and He is the one who made this promise. He looks at you in your sinfulness, but sees you trusting Christ, and says, you're not destined for wrath. All God's mighty wrath, which will fall upon the earth just like Noah's flood did, but in the form of fire, it will not touch you. You will not feel one degree of heat from the wrath of God that is to come. You are not destined for wrath. And in light of death, in light of the life to come, when our other hopes and securities, our health fails us, that is the promise we base all our hope on right there. That Christ is ready just on the other side of the narrow river of death to embrace you. Say, no wrath for you, child. That is a promise. God will keep that promise. 
with such great promises, you were made to live a life with a sense of safety. You were made to sing with the psalmist, you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You dwell in the safety of unbreakable promises. You are what Paul will call in our text today, a child of promise. Today in Galatians, Paul is finishing an allegory. You remember that he started last week about Hagar and Sarah in the life of Abraham who had Isaac and Ishmael. He uses that story as an allegory to tell us something about ourselves today, really, as he finishes that passage. He is applying the allegory to you. And the main point that he's making, among others, is that in Christ, you, like Isaac, are children of promise. You live your life based on faith in the promises of God. Let's see this, Galatians chapter 4, beginning verse 28. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, Isaac, here's the application, unapplication, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Genesis 21, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman, that's Ishmael, shall not inherit with Isaac, the son of the free woman. So, concluding application, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. We saw last week that we've come to the end of the second major division of the book of Galatians. Chapters 1 and 2 go together, Paul's defense of his calling as an apostle. Chapters 3 and 4 go together, his gospel that he had received from heaven. What is it? It is not what the Judaizers claim, that you have to become Jewish and do Jewish works and come under the Jewish law and be circumcised to be saved. No, it is faith alone in Christ alone. We are coming to the end of that second major section, the main argument of the book, if you will. In the next section, which begins next week, I guess the next time I preach, you'll have someone else next week, but in the next section that begins when we continue this series, chapters 4 and 5 will be really an application of a gospel of freedom. And freedom has been such a theme. He's been emphasizing freedom. You're going to see at the beginning of this next section, if you look at chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, against the Judaizers. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul defends himself as one who received the gospel from heaven. He declares his gospel as one of freedom in Christ through faith, not law. And then in the next chapters, he will emphasize what that freedom looks like in your life. But that's why there's freedom also in our passage. He's landing this plane here to transition into freedom, which will be a focus in chapters 5 and 6. But as he's landing this plane, like I said, he's really applying the allegory that he began last week. Hagar, Sarah, you remember that? And as he applies it, this is his focus, children of promise. Now you brothers, he says, like Isaac, that's from the allegory, 
are children of promise. So what we're going to do with this text this morning is to consider it in two parts. One is, where do children of promise come from? And the other is, where are children of promise going? So let's look at these beginning with, where do children of promise, which may well be you as well, where do they come from? Look at verses 28 and 29. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But just as at that time, in Abraham's day, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. And what he's doing there in verse 29 with those few brief words, just as at that time, so also it is now. As he's taking stories that are separated by 2,000 years. When this was written to the Galatians, about 2,000 years had passed from the time of Abraham, including the time of Hagar, Sarah, Isaac, Ishmael. 2,000 years of separation. But he's saying, this was an allegory like we saw. And just as certain things applied 2,000 years before the Galatians experience, so... There are parallels to their experience as they experience it in their life, which is interestingly now 2,000 years before us. Same time period gap there. He's connecting those stories. He's not saying that the stories are exactly the same. Because really when he talks about Isaac as a child of promise 2,000 years before them, what he means mainly is that it was promised that Isaac would literally be born. It was promised to Abraham. It was promised the year before he was born. There was a promise that Abraham, although a very old man, through his barren wife at 90 years of age, would impossibly have a child. So because Isaac was born as a result of that promise, he's a child of promise. That's not true of you. Don't think that was told to your parents some 25 years before you're born, that they would have a child, and then once they reached the age of 100, you were born. Don't suspect that's happened to anyone in here. You are not a child of promise in an identical sense that Isaac was. But there still is a parallel. That's what he's saying. Now you brothers, like Isaac, not exactly like Isaac, but in a parallel way, are children of promise. There's another connection he's going to draw in verse 29. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. Here again, your situation's not identical, but there is a parallel in principle. In Genesis 21, when this took place, it was Ishmael who was born according to the flesh because he was born through Hagar in purely natural means. Every birth, every conception, every birth is still a miracle. It is still God's doing. And yet for the point of this illustration, the conception of Ishmael in Hagar's womb is conceived of as something that just took place naturally. Hagar was not barren. Hagar was not 90 years old. So when she conceived and gave birth to Ishmael, it was natural. Or, in our text, according to the flesh. Ishmael was born according to the flesh, according to the normal natural workings of the human body. 
On the other hand, it speaks of him who was born according to the Spirit, and that is, you know, Isaac. Here we find what you could have assumed, which was that Isaac was born not just on the basis of a promise that was made, but because it was a double impossibility. Because Sarah was both 90 years old, past the age of childbearing, and was barren her entire life, it did require the direct intervention of God's Spirit for Isaac to be conceived in her womb. This is not exactly a virgin birth like we have in the time of Jesus. Abraham is involved in this conception. But we shouldn't be surprised because we know the incarnation of Jesus took place by the active working of the Holy Spirit. And so we find the same was true with Isaac. He was born according to the Spirit. It was unnatural, if you will. It shouldn't have happened. So that is what happened then. Now what he's doing is he says, so you are not exactly like Isaac, but there is a connection between you and what took place 2,000 years ago. So also it is now. How so? Well, verse 29, those born according to the flesh, persecuting those born according to the spirit. That principle takes place today. And if we ask again our opening question of where do children of the promise come from today? The answer is, all children of the promise begin as those born according to the flesh. Not in the exact Ishmael sense, but in a spiritual sense that Paul is drawing out. He's saying every unbeliever, every lost person is someone born according to the flesh. That's the way that the Bible speaks of our sin as if it's housed in our bodies. So for us to be born according to the flesh just means you were born. And you remain in a fallen state, which we've had ever since the time of Adam. It's what we call original sin. From the time you were born, you have had a corruption within your own heart. Nobody has to put it there. It's not just through society. It is natively, innately there because all mankind has fallen in Adam. Where do children of promise come from? We all begin as those born according to the flesh. We can all say of ourselves, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me, which is what David said of himself. Or Ephesians 2 describes our natural state like this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, by nature, according to the flesh, children of promise? No. All of us in this room, by nature, were children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The Bible is not unclear on this point, that original sin affects everyone. So when in verse 29 he speaks of, those born according to the flesh, he's referring to the natural state of every single one of us. There's no exception. From the time we're born, there's no exception. Take note that in verse 29, 
Paul's actually connecting the Galatians to him who was born according to the Spirit, to Isaac, not Ishmael. Now you, brothers, like Isaac. So where do these children of promise come from? If all of us quite clearly begin as those born according to the flesh, how do any of us move from that position to be those born according to the Spirit? Or like Isaac, children of promise. How does that come about? If you know your Bible, you know Jesus described this transition from born according to the flesh to born according to the Spirit in John chapter 3 in a conversation he had with a religious leader named Nicodemus. Jesus told him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why would it be necessary for a person to be born again to see the kingdom? Why can you, you, never See the kingdom of God unless you are truly born again. It is because we all start out born according to the flesh in a spiritual sense. It is because in Adam we have original sin. We have fallen. We are born with a brokenness, a corruption within ourselves. So unless something changes, we go on in that direction forever. We can add to it civic virtues. We can try to clean up our life. But at root, we are sinful, selfish, corrupt in our heart. Therefore, the only way to change, if that is our nature, the only way we will have a place in God's kingdom is that our nature has to change. And that's a tall order. Don't know if you've ever tried to change a nature, your own or someone else's. Have you ever seen a frog and thought, I would like to change the nature of this frog into a bird. And so you go about scientifically to endeavor to change the nature of the frog into a bird. You can't do it. How do you change the nature of someone born according to the flesh, like Ishmael, into a child of promise? There's only one way. You must be born according to the Spirit. Jesus explained himself, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Here is the reason. Here is the principle that applies today as much as 4,000 or 2,000 years ago. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You're born according to the flesh. You are flesh. Not just that you have a body, but in the sense of sin as your core principle. And Jesus says, so, if you want that to change, there must be a born again, a rebirth, a change of your nature, which is done by the Spirit quite clearly. Where do children of promise come from? All of them begin as children of flesh, but in trusting in Christ, the Spirit changes them into those born again by the Spirit. That is the only way to become a child of of promise. And that's what he says. So also it is now. That's the connection that he's drawing here. That there are two groups of people in this world. Those like Ishmael born according to the flesh. Those like Isaac born according to the spirit. There's no third category. So every single one of us in this room, we fall into one or the other of those. All of us are born as it were with a switch in our heart just behind our chest and it is turned off 
from the time you're born. This is your sensitivity to God, receptivity to spiritual things, your sense of the divine, what is right, what is true, what is good. It is switched off. And you can't reach in there and turn it on. Only the Holy Spirit, by His great power, can accomplish that. When you look to Jesus Christ for salvation, that is something the Spirit has accomplished by going into your heart and flipping the switch on. That's where children of promise come from. Otherwise, like I said, you can be a rather moral person. You can agree with all the details of the gospel, with every teaching of the scriptures, but if that switch is off, you will not see the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit must do a work in you, turning that switch on, waking you up, causing you to be born again, changing your nature, changing your core principle. That's where children of promise come from. Now, before we move on to where children of promise are going, let me just make some observations of if that happens, if you become a true child of promise by trusting in Christ, what is your life like? Verse 28 says, like we've been saying, that you are a child of promise. And verse 31 says, at that time you brothers are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. In other words, children of freedom. Children of promise, children of freedom. If you've trusted in Christ, the Spirit's changed your heart. You, not the person next to you, maybe them too, but look, you are a child of promise. And if that doesn't mean you're exactly, it was exactly promised that you'd be born like it was for Isaac, what does it mean? It means that your whole life is characterized primarily by faith in the promises of God. That's it. That's what it means. You're a child of promise because you're not like others who don't know or care about God's promises, who don't allow God's promises to affect their budgets, to affect their activities, to affect their conversation. That's not you. A child of promise is someone whose life is characterized at its very root. It is based upon believing God's promises. That's what happens when the Spirit changes your heart. These promises are your safety. They're your whole life. Now, as a child of promise, we understand that not everything is directly promised by God. If you receive a cancer diagnosis, the Bible itself promises that cancer will be healed in the life to come. But it does not promise that that cancer will be healed in this life. Perhaps it will. Perhaps it won't. It tells us God can heal the cancer, but it is not a promise of Scripture saying God will heal the cancer. There are some who would like to claim healing, claim it as if it were a direct promise of God. It is not a direct promise of God. You can't claim it in the same way. We can only claim the actual promises of Scripture, but the reality is that the promises we do have are much better than the ones that we don't have. You know what is so much better than the promise that you'll never get cancer? The promise that even if you do get cancer and it wins, you win. That you are ushered into an eternity of paradise. That is better than your cancer being healed and then later dying of something else with no future after that. The promises we have are better. It is better to have the promise that God will be with us in our trial and for us in our trial than to have the promise that we won't have the trial. 
look, I'm human. I'm made of flesh and bone. I know it doesn't always feel that way. I understand that, so I'm preaching to me and to you. But the fact is, it is better to have God with us in our trials. It's better to have that promise and to live by that promise that He's for us and will not leave us and is our helper than to have Him promise away any of our current trials. If we really lived as children of promise, taking God's promises at face value, we really would be fearless. There would be nothing that could touch us because then we would understand that our trials, hard as they are, are really just opportunities for us to strengthen the muscle of our faith in God's promises. You believe in a life to come. I know that you do. But how much do you believe in it? You don't know until the cancer diagnosis is given. You don't know until your health starts to fail. You don't know until you lose the loved one. That's when God tests your faith in His promises. Until then, it's just background noise. But when you have to believe it or there's nothing else, it's the promise or it's the abyss. At that point, your faith is strengthened to take hold the promise. You let go of your savings account, maybe because through trial it's empty. You let go of the other person that you're relying on, maybe because through trial you've lost them. And now all that is left is for you to take hold the promises in Christ's hand. And if we take hold those promises by faith, nothing can move us because those promises are unbreakable. Those promises cannot be taken away from us. This is what it means to be children of promise. And it is our greatest safety. What it means to be children of the free woman or children of freedom, I pass over now because we're going to consider it next week and actually all the next weeks till we're done with Galatians. So we have seen where children of promise come from. But now we're going to look briefly at where children of promise are going. See this in verse 29 again. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. Let me give you in brief the answer and then we'll explain it. Where are you going if you're a child of promise? You are going through persecution and suffering, sorry, to a glorious inheritance. Through persecution to an inheritance. That's where you're going. That's where your life's headed. We've noted our own change from flesh to spirit in this verse just briefly ago. But really, you've probably noticed this, good exegetes of the text that you are, that that's not really Paul's emphasis here. Actually, as he's presenting this to the Galatians, he's not emphasizing that they were children of flesh who became children of spirit. He's emphasizing that now as those born according to the spirit, those who are lost in the world are persecuting them. The Galatians were experiencing that somehow through probably pagan neighbors, maybe the Jewish community, could have been anything, but they were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's emphasizing in the Isaac story in Genesis 21, Isaac is weaned and they throw a big party. And we read this in verse 9, But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, Ishmael, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. This is, I believe, what Paul is thinking back to when he writes verse 29. Now, we're not entirely sure the idea or connotation of laughing there. Ishmael was 
laughing. It just says laughing. You know that Isaac's name means laughter because Sarah laughed when they promised that Isaac would be born because she was so old. She laughed. So they called Isaac laughter. Here you have Ishmael laughing at Isaac's party. Probably the meaning here is what you'll find in the ESV footnote, which says, possibly laughing in mockery. That's likely because immediately afterward is what we have quoted in verse 30 of our text. Sarah saying, cast out this slave woman with her son. Probably that was the persecution, that laughing, whatever that meant exactly. Tradition suggests that Ishmael as a hunter has his arrows and he's accidentally shooting them at Isaac. It's just tradition. That's just legendary. We don't know anything about that. What we do know regardless what laughing means, is that certainly Ishmael persecuted Isaac somehow. That's what's said in our text. He who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted Isaac, born according to the spirit. The connection between that and where you're going is if you want to get to heaven, if you want to get to God's kingdom, if you want to receive your inheritance, you're going to be like Isaac and you're going to go through persecution. Put more simply, people are not going to like you. Some of you don't care. Good for you. Some of you really care about that. You don't want people not to like you. But let me put it as plainly as Scripture does in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a promise of another sort. <laughs> not the kind of promise we wanted. If you live, not as a Christian but as a faithful Christian, you will get pushback. You will be persecuted. This is inevitable because of the principle he draws here. Those born of flesh, those born of spirit, there is an antithesis. There is a conflict between flesh and spirit. We're going to see this later in Galatians, the next chapter. He's going to say the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's happening just in your heart. Your flesh, your spirit fighting. They cannot get along. They will not get along. They are nations at war. There will be no peace between them in this life. And if that's true in your own heart, flesh and spirit fighting, how much more when you've been born of spirit outside of yourself, those born of flesh will, must persecute you. They must push back against you. Jesus was called Beelzebul. And you're members of his house. The world will call you Beelzebul. The world will malign you. It has to happen. Now you might look at verse 29 and feel a bit of worry because you say, I don't experience a lot of persecution. It's not like what we heard about here. I'm not having my house burnt down. I've not been arrested for believing in Christ. We live in a country that at least in name is Christian, has a Judeo-Christian background. You might even find some degree of respect at your workplace. We're in a rather conservative, the south of the north, if you will, here in Evansville, rather conservative place. And so you can find some respect by being a Christian. So what is this about those born according to the flesh persecuting us? If you're an honest Christian, no matter what time or place you're born in, you will, you will rub up against the spirit of the age. And you know the clearest example right now that the spirit of the age, for example, 
comes to identity and sexuality. And as far as the world's concerned, as far as the majority of those, let's say, 25 and younger in our country, you are not only backward and not only wrong about sexuality for believing the Bible's teachings on it, but you are oppressive. You are cruel. You are heartless. You are a part of the problem in our country. And we've seen over the last few decades that building rapidly. That will continue building rapidly till revival comes, pray for that. Or Christ comes, pray for that as well. So you will be persecuted for believing the teachings of Scripture and of Christ. You are already set against this age. It will happen. So when it happens, don't go, <gasps> why would you go, <gasps> it's right, look, he told you about that. Jesus told you about that all the time. Of course you will be persecuted. You because you're born of spirit and the world's born of flesh like you used to be, you will be persecuted. Don't say I didn't tell you. Don't say scripture didn't tell you. I'm telling you right now. It's right there. If you're an honest Christian, even in more conservative circles, you will get pushback if you try to be a faithful Christian because it may come to pass that at times you don't align exactly with certain political sentiments of unbelieving conservatives. So you'll get pushback there too. And it's saying here that's to be expected. Ishmael did it to Isaac. The world will do it to you. So here you are, a child of promise, all of the joy of God's promises, but to get those promises, what's promised to you, you have to go through persecution. You can't go around it, not under it, not over it, right? We go through it. You have to go through persecution. It's what Paul and Barnabas said to the churches they planted. And this was, by the way, as an encouragement, it says. Through many tribulations, through them, we must enter the kingdom of God. Where are children of promise going? We are going through persecution. Don't be shocked. It has to be. It's always been that way for Christians, and it has to be. But through many tribulations, where do we go? We enter the kingdom of God to an inheritance. See this in verse 30. But what does the scripture say? These are Sarah's words. Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Children of promise eventually inherit what they've been promised. Eventually. Eventually. In the Isaac story of Genesis 21, we saw that Sarah had beheld Ishmael laughing, probably some kind of mockery. And so she makes this request that's quoted here. Send away Hagar and Ishmael. They're not going to inherit with Isaac. And this is a harsh request. If you've read this in Genesis 21, it's so harsh, in fact, that Abraham himself, his heart breaks to hear it. He's grieved. He doesn't want to send them away. But then amazingly, God confirms the request in Genesis 21 and says to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. God protected Hagar and Ishmael. God made of Ishmael princes and a nation. The Arabs today trace their roots to Ishmael. God was kind to Ishmael. But Isaac was the child of promise. And therefore, God stood behind what Sarah had said here. But it was not just for the sake of Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and Abraham, 
all those years ago. This may be understood allegorically. It was for your sake that verse 30 has this, cast out the slave woman and her son, for they will not inherit with Isaac. Because the Judaizers had come into the Galatians location here and were urging them to come under the law, to seek a righteousness under the law, that they would inherit eternal life if they kept the law. Like Hagar and Ishmael, they would be sent away on the day of judgment. Anyone, anyone here, any of us who tries to earn our way to a right standing with God, who tries to get the inheritance by what we do, by keeping some set of standards we have for ourselves, then this text will apply for us on the day of judgment. Cast out the slave woman and her son. Because you will not inherit with the children of promise. Only the children of promise inherit. The slave woman and her son, those who represent trying to obey your way into heaven, you've rejected the promise. God said, here's the promise. I don't need that. I can be good enough. And God says, fine, try. But you never can. The children of promise, if that's you, we will live in a renewed earth. We will inherit. The son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. But that means the son of the free woman will inherit. That is us. We shall have an inheritance in heaven. And I conclude here by just asking for each of you personally, is this what we've described as the children of promise? Is this you? Is the switch still down in your heart? You come to church, you're interested on an intellectual level or a social or emotional level, but it doesn't really click. It doesn't really make sense. Maybe you're just forced to be here. The light switch is still down. You read the Bible. You get it. It's not that exciting. The light switch is down. Why do they make such a big deal about judgment, about faith? Why is that guy yelling from the pulpit? Why is everybody all excited about these things? But you know, you can't say that. You've got to be a good Christian. Look, the light switch is down. But it can be flipped up. This text is for you. You can become a child of promise by the working of the Holy Spirit if you will look to Christ today. And for those of us who are children of promise, the challenge of this passage is that you would let go of the other things that provide you safety. And like Abraham and Isaac, Take hold of the promises of God and those promises alone.